and welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Johnny DC. And I'm his twin brother, Marvelous Joe. And in this episode, it's a duel episode, we're pitting Sinestro against Magneto. And of course, this ties into our Dark Phoenix review from our last episode. Right, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see who would win in this match because they're both insanely powerful villains who have like really compelling character arcs from the comics. I know some people were expecting us to pit Magneto against uh, Dr. Polaris, I think his name is. But those guys are so similar that I feel like it wouldn't be an interesting fight because what you'd end up getting is like a Hawkeye versus Green Arrow situation where the characters are identical and the match ends up being like a coin toss. Yeah, that's no fun. This is going to be much more interesting. Yeah, because it's characters with similar power levels but with different power sets altogether. Yeah, we'll get into more of why we think this is a good matchup later on in the episode. Before that, we're going to break down the news items from the past week, of which there is not much news. No, kind of slow. Yeah, Lobo is getting his own spin-off show on the Sci-Fi Channel from uh, Krypton, which is also on that channel, and the Avengers are getting their own video game. Yeah, we don't usually comment on video game news, but I feel like this is a big thing to talk about. It was a pretty decent trailer, so... There was a big lead-up to it, for sure. Right. I think it just kind of disappointed everyone. <laughs> what? Really? I guess that's the word on the street, huh? Yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah. But as always, our segment times are in our episode description, so feel free to jump around to whatever topic you want to listen to. Right, before we get into the news, we want to give a big, huge shout-out to uh, those who have rated us and reviewed us on the Apple Podcasts platform. Uh, As you know, we're trying to get to 200 reviews because at that point we become eligible to become critics on Rotten Tomatoes and have our reviews of the Marvel and DC movies count toward those films' official tomato meter. Yeah, we don't have any new ratings. We're still at 110, but we do have a few belated shout-outs to people who have given us reviews. Yeah, we want to give thanks to NRA413 for leaving us a review, as well as Circus Loving and his sons, Harry and Tasker. You guys get a special shout-out. Typically, we say that this show is geared toward adults, because of the language that we just can't help ourselves from saying. It's so hard. <laughs> kids, kids know these words nowadays, right? They shouldn't. It's not what Superman would do. <laughs> this episode for you, Harry and Tasker, I'm going to try my hardest not to say any swear words. Yep, this is for you too. It's going to be especially hard considering that this is a dual episode. Yeah, it's always when I get the most frustrated, so it's, it's going to be a huge challenge. Yeah, instead of the F word, I'm going to say frick. And instead of the a-hole word, I'm going to say butthole. And instead of the S word, I'm going to say snap. Oh, snap. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, thank you guys uh, for leaving us reviews again. And uh, remember, Harry and Tasker, Marvel is better. What? They don't click to the no prize. A no prize is an award Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Duel No Prize, is a digital award that we post on social media that Jonathan personally draws for those who we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. Last week's question was in regards to the news that the DC Universe app might be going under. Yeah, it was, would you prefer to have a DC Universe app subscription or a Warner Media app subscription that only has some DC content? The television stuff, not the comic books. Right. We got a lot of answers, a lot of great answers. Yeah, honorable mention goes to Jace Crump for his answer uh, that he would prefer to just have the Warner Media app because it has more content than the DC app and would have a bigger audience. Iranagami gave the answer DC Universe because he enjoys the apps, comic libraries, and animated shows, provided that the quality is better than the CW. Uh, honorable mention goes to Dustin Balcom, who uh, said he'd prefer to have the DC Universe app because it pays for itself if you just read four to five comics a month, and plus it has those extra shows. Jeremy Orr said that he would prefer the Warner Media app because it has a larger audience pool and therefore the price can stay low. Plus, getting anime and other great content is just awesome. Honorable mention goes to James Cole III, who prefers the DC Universe app because it has fantastic original content, over 22,000 digital comics uh, on all your devices and television. That sounds like an advertisement. I think James (laughs) Cole III works for DC Universe. I'm sold. Joel Seagrave also gave the answer DC Universe, but he would prefer it to be on the PS4, and he feels that a Warner Media app would be too expensive. Honorable mention goes to Jonathan Hazelton, who said he would prefer subscribing to the DC Universe app because uh, he doubts that there will be comics on the Warner Media app. Ken Johnson also said he wants the DC Universe app. And there's so many DC Universe app people here. I know. Answers. Right? I'm like really happy. Just about so many that. DC fans. It's so yeah. weird. Yeah, it's I awesome. I didn't think any so of them existed. Amazing. 
Ken Johnson wants the DC Universe app, but he wants them to open up all of the DC film and television content instead of, you know, just putting out different things each month. And also he wants all of the episodes for the television shows to be released at once. That's a huge aspect to why I think the DC Universe is not as successful as it could be. I agree. If I could binge Swamp Thing like in one weekend, I would much prefer that to having to wait, you know, 10 weeks, especially because I know it's not going to continue. So like, what's the incentive? Right, exactly. And the hype's all going to die by the time the show ends. Right. Anyway, honorable mention also goes to Jeremy Hoyt, who said he would prefer the DC Universe app because he want access to all DC content, including that terrible Green Lantern movie. What? Which I think makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the final honorable mention goes to Caleb Albers, who said that he only wants content that's good and therefore wants a dynamic dual streaming service yes. with film commentaries and shorts of the duels. Yes. And I, I would totally pay for that. Like animated shorts of the duels? Yeah. Or even live action. Even like live action. They, they do that with the Bat and the Sun productions. What is that called? Like Superhero Showdown or something like that. That's right. That's right. Shut up and take my money. I would totally pay for that. <laughs> That was a very flattering answer. Flattery Caleb will get Albers. you everywhere, but it won't give you the no prize this time for some reason. Because as cool as a dynamic dual streaming app would be, I don't think it would be nearly as cool as Gavi Mai's answer, who said they would prefer the DC Universe app, but only with DC Universe Online, the game, and other DC games. I didn't even think about that. DC has so many great video games. So he wants the app to have the comics and the television shows and the movies and the video games. Yes. I think a lot of people would, would switch to the DC Universe app if it came with those games, too. Yeah, like the Batman Arkham games? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Congrats again to Gavi Mai for your answer this week. You win the no prize. And if you, the listener, want to win your own no prize, go ahead and stay tuned to later on this episode when we will be asking another question of the week. With that all out of the way, on to the news. Okay, so last week, like just hours before his debut on the Krypton Season 2 opener, Saifei announced that Lobo will be getting his own spinoff show. Is it going to be like TVMA? <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope so. Why not? It's Sci-Fi Channel. I think they could do TVMA content on there. If they don't, Lobo should be the first one. Now, I haven't actually seen the episode because I don't have the Sci-Fi Channel, uh -huh. but I have seen clips from the episode, and he just looks ruthless, man. He looks like he's going to be a really good Lobo. Really? And I love the character of Lobo. Like, I still remember getting really excited when they said that Danny Trejo was going to be Lobo on the Flash television series. What? Yeah, that ended up not happening. Really? But it would have been so perfect. Is this the first live-action version of Lobo that we've seen? Yes. Yeah. Wow. He looks a lot like the character. It's pretty well done. Yeah. I've always thought he was kind of a crazy character, kind of in the same vein of, like, Deadpool and how wacky and inappropriate he is, how, like, unkid-friendly, you know? Mm -hmm. He's a great character for Harry and Tasker, you know? Um, <laughs> because he doesn't say cuss words, you know? he Instead of the F word, he says frag, and he says, like, bastitch, I think. Bastitch, yeah. yeah. Those are safe curse words, right? I don't I know. I guess. I, they don't sound like it, but, you know, <laughs> technically that's true. I guess the show is going to be written and produced by Krypton's same showrunner, Cameron Welsh. I've only seen like the first four episodes of Krypton. And? It was fine. Like, I'm still not too invested in the story of Superman's grandfather. Yeah. But like the production value is decent. Well, it's kind of like Gotham, where in that show, all of these Batman villains are popping up like prematurely. Yeah. In the Batman universe. Right. And in this one, it's like all of Superman's villains are popping up prematurely in the Superman universe. But it's guys like Brainiac, you know, who, of course, they were around before Superman. Uh-huh. So. And Doomsday was too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Lobo for those who might not know about him? Well, he was a character created in the 80s, you uh -huh. know, which makes sense. Uh, I think he started off as like a minor villain for the Omega Men. He was. Oh, that's right. He was a space biker. Yeah, right. right. He's like Deadpool, but like cranked up to 11. Deadpool mixed with Ghost Rider. Yeah, kind of. I guess I guess you could do that. He's the last of his race. He like accidentally killed everyone else on his planet when he was like just a boy with like a science experiment. <laughs> it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. He's meant to be like an over-the-top character, and he's insanely strong, like Superman-level strong. Who do you think we could pit against him in a duel episode? We've already used Ghost Rider against Etrigan, and we've already used Deadpool against Deathstroke. So yeah, I don't think those would be good matches anyway. Really? I don't know, Marvel. You tell me who would be a good match. Um, Maybe like the Silver Surfer, although I want to what? pit him against Orion. Yeah. So, I don't know, someone like Beta Ray Bill or something. Some crazy 80s alien like that. I don't know, I'll have to think about it. Okay, yeah, we should definitely do... A dual episode with Lobo, maybe next year. 
there's no release date for when his show will be out. It might still be a few years away. We'll do a dual episode with him soon. Cool. Uh, moving on to video game news. We got a trailer for Marvel's Avengers video game that's coming out. It was shown at E3 this past week. And you know what? I feel like it's getting a lot of hate out there, but I didn't mind it. I hate it. I think a lot of people were expecting maybe different gameplay, maybe something like open world. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, Arkham. It's freaking 2019. I almost said the bad word. <laughs> it's 2019. It's like, come on. This game does appear to be more mission-based than anything else. Right. And I also noticed that the character design was getting a lot of flack because the characters don't resemble the movie counterparts. Which is fine. Like, the movie counterparts don't look exactly like the comic characters. Right, and it's not a movie-based game, so I don't mind that the likenesses are, are different. What bothers me is not so much the likenesses, but the graphics quality. It looks like something that could have been on the GameCube. Yeah, these actors' faces are a little bit uh, uncanny valley-y. They're Absolutely. A, they're a little bit frightening, honestly. Especially the Tony Stark. I don't know why. And the writing. The writing just seems so generic. It is really bad. bad. Okay, really well, bad. Let, let's start from the beginning, though. So we get narration from whom I'm assuming is Kamala Khan, because this seems like her voice style. Uh-huh. And Kamala Khan, of course, is Ms. Marvel. And it sounds like she's meeting the Avengers on this big event known as A-Day, where they're like, like celebrating the team. But I guess there's some kind of attack on San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. So Cap sends the team out, and the action looks super cinematic. I think it looks pretty damn cool. All the footage used in this trailer was in-game footage using the game's engine. But it wasn't gameplay footage. I think some of it was. Some of the behind-the-back stuff. Oh, really? I think some of it was gameplay footage, although we don't know what the gameplay necessarily is going to be like. If these are just, like, quick-time events or if those characters are actually being controlled at this point, you know? Right, right. Uh, the Spider-Man video game that came out for PS4 was similar in its cinematic style and was a mixture of quick-time events and actual open world. Yeah, yeah. Like the Arkham games. Right, how cool would an open world Avengers game be, though? That would be so much better than what it looks like whatever this is. <laughs> so as the Avengers are taking on the threat on the Golden Gate Bridge, we get some dialogue between the characters. And there's a weird moment where Thor's like, there are civilian hostages and tiny men with guns. And then Iron Man like stops everything that he's doing and is like, did Thor just make a joke? I think Thor just made a joke. And... No, he didn't make a freaking joke. That was not a joke, <laughs> you know? And then Iron Man gets blasted out of the air from, like, a repulsor tank. It's so poorly written. But it's so much more than just that moment, too. It's like, oh, this looks interesting. And, like, they played us. And it's just like, <laughs> who's writing this? Black Widow's voice sucks, I have to say. All I really, of their voices are kind of off. I want Black Widow to have a Russian accent. Please. Give her a Russian accent. It's who she is. I mean, and obviously she's a spy. She can speak multiple languages. She can easily hide her accent, but I don't think that she would. She uh, doesn't need to. Right, not when she's just being herself. So anyway, we have Iron Man blasting some tanks. We have Hulk blasting some tanks. It looks like the main villain of this scene is Taskmaster, I want to say, because he has like a skull face and a hood. It might be, you know, an alternate design of the Crossbones character that we saw in Civil War. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he looks pretty formidable. There's a part where he's flying around the bridge on a jetpack and Black Widow's like hitching a ride and attacking him at the same time. That looks pretty cool. The camera work is pretty impressive, I have to say. But apparently Captain America dies when the shield helicarrier's core explodes or something like that. I don't know what that fragment crystal was within the ship's core. It could have been like uh, isotope 8, which is an element that they tend to use in these Marvel games. That's used to like power up your character, essentially. Huh. Like these RPG kind of elements. Yeah. But I don't really think that Cap's dead. They make it seem like Cap's dead, but I'm pretty sure he would survive a crashing helicarrier into the water, you know? It's water. It's just water. He, it doesn't hurt. He was trapped in ice, which is harder than water. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the, the game really makes it seem like there's some kind of fallout from this incident where the Avengers have kind of disbanded. And then they have to unite once again to take on this new threat. So in all, this trailer has been kind of like a mixed bag with some interesting action bits, but also some really poor graphics and dialogue and story elements too. Would you buy it? Well, yeah, I absolutely would buy it if I had a platform to play it. That's one of the reasons why we don't comment on gaming news too much on this podcast is because neither Jonathan nor I are gamers anymore. We used to be, but we kind of dropped off after the Wii era, I guess. Yeah, I just sold my Xbox One S. Really? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about getting a Switch for the Ultimate Alliance Marvel game that's coming out exclusively to that platform. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm still wondering why that's a Switch exclusive. I'm not sure. In all, I'd be really interested in hearing what uh, our listeners think about this trailer, those who are gamers and, you know, are a little bit more knowledgeable on the subject of modern gaming. But speaking of gaming, this brings us to our question of the week. 
What has been your favorite DC or Marvel video game and why? Post your answer to our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or email us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com. We'll pick our favorite answer and draw that person a Dynamic Duel no prize that we'll post to social media. I think that does it for all of the news for this episode. So uh, with all that done, let's go ahead and move on to the main event where we find out who'd win in a fight between Sinestro and Magneto. Are you scared? No. You should be. I'm not. Okay, Sinestro versus Magneto. Now you might be asking yourself, why these two characters? And actually, this was sort of inspired by the internet, just by looking at what people thought would be good matches between DC and Marvel. I saw this one and I was like, well, that's an interesting match. I have no idea who would win. They're both great, fascinating characters who kind of skirt with like being really evil and, you know, semi-heroic. Sinestro is heroic? Well, yeah, he started off as a Green Lantern. Oh, that's right. That's right. But also, I think what appealed to me for this particular episode is that there's not too many people who could go up against a Green Lantern powers-wise. They're just so powerful and energetic. But I think Magneto is absolutely one of those characters. He's not only one of the most powerful mutants in the Marvel Universe, he's one of the most powerful characters in general. His electromagnetic energy powers are just off the charts. So I think Magneto is more than a match for Sinestro in this particular duel. More than a match? Yes. We'll see. So the way we determine the winner between these two characters is through statistics. We take their statistics and we run them through a simulation uh, known as a Monte Carlo simulation. And what that does is it takes those stat numbers and it randomizes them along a normal distribution, which is in the shape of a bell curve. And that randomization simulates all the variables that take place during the course of battle. Now we compare these randomizations against each other 1,000 times to simulate 1,000 battles. And from those results, we get a percentage of wins for each character. Right, and the character with the highest percentage of wins is the one that we declare the winner because they would win most of the time. Right, because no one character ever wins 100% of the matches. That's never happened. Right. There's always a way for Batman to beat someone like Superman. Though we try not to be that lopsided in our matchup pairings. We try to pick matches that we think will end up as close to 50% as possible and then are just super super excited when that doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen. Right, right. So again, because Joseph and I are so biased, we've chosen this approach because it's the most objective scientific approach that we could find. It used to be done by Spike TV on their old television show, Deadliest Warrior. Right, it's objective. There's no fan votes. We don't consider like outlier feats. It's just base statistics which are all based on the official Marvel Power Rankings grid. Right, and from Marvel's criteria, we extrapolate the DC character statistics as well as add our own stat categories in order to make a more robust, accurate simulation. Things like evasiveness and range, things that, you know, would play a factor in an actual battle. Right. So before we run this Monte Carlo simulation with these character stats, we'll go over Magneto's and Sinestro's histories and powers so you're more familiar with the characters. I think I go first this time, so let me tell you all about the character of Magneto, who I have to say is one of my favorite villains of all time. Because is he a tyrannical madman or a righteous zealot? You know, he does take extreme measures to fight for mutant equality, but have extreme measures not been taken also by humans to suppress mutants? Do the ends justify the means when striving for a noble cause? And who decides which cause is noble? These are just some of the fascinating questions that arise when analyzing Magneto. Now, Magneto's real name is Max Eisenhardt. Max Eisenhardt was born to a middle-class Jewish family in Germany during the rise of the Nazi regime. He and his family were persecuted by Nazi soldiers and beaten nearly every day, and they ended up fleeing to Poland. There, they escaped the Warsaw Ghetto to avoid extermination, but were eventually captured and killed in a firing squad. Max unknowingly used his powers for the first time to avoid being shot and was the only member of his family to survive though he was soon found and imprisoned in Auschwitz. There, he was forced to clean out the furnaces of the crematoria, oh, where he would discover the bodies of friends who had been picked for death, some of them horribly disfigured by the experiments of geneticist supervillain Mr. Sinister. He reunited with an early childhood crush named Magda in the extermination camp and saved her from the gas chambers before the two escaped and fled to a Carpathian mountain village where Max changed his identity to Eric Lencher. They stayed there until the war's end got married, and had a daughter named Anya. Yeah, I thought his name was Eric Lencher. Um, in the movies, that's what they refer to him as, but that's actually more of a gypsy name, and in the comics, they didn't quite decide whether or not they wanted Magneto to be Jewish or gypsy for a really long time. 
So what they did is they gave him a Jewish name that he later changed to a gypsy name. Okay. Because he married Magda, who was part Romani. Right. So after they had their daughter Anya, Eric moved his family to a Soviet Union city where he got a job as a carpenter. There, he consciously used his mutant powers for the first time as he magnetically hurled a crowbar at his boss for not paying him. As he arrived home that evening, he saw his home burning down with his daughter trapped in her room. He tried to save her but was held down by KGB goons who had been called by Eric's boss to start the fire and beat him up. As Anya burned alive in front of him, Eric killed the men who held him and the entire crowd watching, and he destroyed a portion of the city itself. Holy cow. Magda fled in grief at the loss of her daughter and out of fear of her husband. Eric traveled to Israel, where he worked as an orderly at a psychiatric hospital for Holocaust survivors. There, he first met Charles Xavier, who was volunteering at the hospital. The two became friends and would often discuss the subject of the budding mutant race and its coexistence with the human majority. The two eventually revealed their powers to each other as they fought Hydra to save a kidnapped friend. Realizing his and Charles' views were incompatible, Eric stole Hydra's Nazi gold and went on a journey hunting Nazi war criminals around the world. Hmm. He developed a notorious reputation and was nicknamed Magneto. He witnessed the persecution of mutants firsthand in his travels around the world, and seeing parallels with the persecution of Jews in Nazi Germany, decided to establish a group to fight for mutant rights. He created an orbital space station to use as a base called Asteroid M, oh, and right. recruited his alleged children Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, as well as Toad and Mastermind. This was the original Brotherhood of Mutants. He led the group in acts of genetic terrorism, and were often stopped by Charles Xavier and his rival team of mutants called the X-Men, who fought for peaceful mutant and human coexistence. He would also end up clashing with the likes of the Fantastic Four, the Submariner, Thor, and the Inhumans. Eventually, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch left the team to join the Avengers, and you can learn more about them in our Flash vs. Quicksilver episode and our Zatanna vs. Scarlet Witch episode, where they find out that they're not actually Magneto's children. Dumb. After many years of attacking humans with various incarnations of his Brotherhood team, Eric was de-aged a few decades into his younger self's body during an encounter with the alien Shi'ar race. Occasionally, Eric would find himself fighting alongside the X-Men when external threats to mutant kind would show up, such as William Stryker's purifiers and during the Secret Wars event. That was when the godlike being known as the Beyonder transported Marvel's heroes and villains to Battleworld to do battle. Eric was transported to the villain side, but he rejected them and fought alongside the heroes instead. Later, he even led the X-Men and the New Mutants teams when Professor X had to be taken off-world to be treated for an attack by Hydra. Though Eric thought he could manipulate the teams into his belief of mutant superiority, the reverse happened, and he began questioning his own methods. However, over time the pressures of keeping the teams safe got to him and he became an overbearing and tyrannical team leader. He ended up leaving the X-Men and returning to his old ways after seeing his students oppressed time and again. He stated that the world should focus on just him as the mutant threat, and that by being the major, quote, villain, he could help protect other mutants. Hmm. His goal was no longer human conquest, but rather the creation of a haven for mutant kind on Asteroid M. The United Nations Security Council deployed satellites that disrupted Eric's powers on Asteroid M, and he deactivated every electronic device on Earth in retaliation. Holy cow. He fought the X-Men again, once again led by Professor X, and in the process extracted the adamantium from Wolverine's skeleton. And you can learn more about that in our Hawkman vs. Wolverine duel episode. In the aftermath, the United Nations ended up ceding governmental control of the small island nation of Genosha to Eric to use as his mutant haven. Its population grew in the tens of thousands, but the island was eventually attacked and destroyed by Mega Sentinels, an event during which Eric was presumed dead. As he rose from Genosha's rubble and recovered his powers, his alleged daughter, the Scarlet Witch, rewrote reality to one where Eric ruled over a mutant-dominated world called the House of M. That version of reality came crashing down, however, when the heroes realized the truth, and the Scarlet Witch ended up restoring reality, but not before stripping most of the Earth's mutant population of their powers, including Eric's. Broken and disillusioned, Eric went into hiding. He worked with the High Evolutionary, the scientist that granted Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch their powers, and was able to regain his powers through his technology, though the machine could only be used once. Of course. Eric made it his mission to try and restore the mutant populace's lost powers, which brought his attention to the first mutant born after the events of House of M, named Hope Summers. He joined the X-Men on their new island base called Utopia, which was actually Asteroid M resurfaced from the ocean's depths. During the Avengers vs. X-Men event, the Phoenix Force returned to Earth. 
Magneto sided with the X-Men but attacked Cyclops when his Phoenix powers grew out of control. Hope Summers and the Scarlet Witch were able to use the Phoenix to restore the lost powers of Earth's former mutants, fulfilling Eric's mission. He later tracked down the Red Skull after learning that the villain was using Genosha as a concentration camp for many of these newly restored mutants, and he beat him to death. However, Schmidt was soon resurrected in the psyche of Red Onslaught, whom Eric helped defeat alongside the X-Men and the Avengers. Though Earth's mutants were restored, many of them started dying due to exposure to the Terrigen Mists released in the atmosphere by Black Bolt, whom you can learn more about in our Shazam vs. Black Bolt duel. This forced Eric to again try and protect the mutant race through any means necessary, establishing a new Asteroid M and a new Brotherhood of Mutants. Isn't that, it the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? Um, it was initially called the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in the comics, yes, but that's kind of been retconned, because it wouldn't make sense for Magneto to refer to his own team as evil, considering that he views his cause as righteous. Right, right, I was thinking the same thing. Okay. Although there was a theory in the Earth-X graphic novel where the Watcher surmised that Magneto called his Brotherhood evil in order to force Charles Xavier to take a moral stance, basically. Interesting. Yeah, which, I don't know, still doesn't make sense to me. No. Anyway... Uh, Magneto's powers are to control the fundamental forces of electromagnetism, and he is one of the Earth's most powerful mutants. With his power, he has complete molecular control of metals, with effects that range from being able to control a person's blood flow, using the iron in their hemoglobin, or he can move mountains, or he can even manipulate the planet's electromagnetic field. Wouldn't that, like, destroy the planet? Yes. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But he can fly, he can create impenetrable force fields, and fire electromagnetic blasts and pulses. Now, can he control all metals or just iron? All ferrous metals. Okay. Basically any metal that can be magnetized. Okay. Although he can also magnetize non-magnetic elements, so, you know. What? Just metal. Just think metal, okay? Okay. Magneto can also reinforce the metal fibers of his outfit to be near the strength of adamantium. In addition, he also has telepathic resistance through his helmet, and he also has a genius-level intellect. And that's the character. I mean, I guess that's impressive. I mean, not as impressive as, like, a ring that can allow you to create anything you can imagine. I mean, Magneto can create anything he imagines out of metal, so... Well, let's hope there's some around. (laughs) Let me get into Sinestro. Thel Sinestro is from the planet Korugar in Space Sector 1417. He was an orderly anthropologist on his planet until one day, the Green Lantern for 1417 named Prawl Gasgatha crash-landed near Sinestro, injured, and apparently dying from a battle with a Weaponer of Quard, which is a planet from DC's Antimatter universe. Gasgatha gave up his ring to Sinestro, whom the ring deemed to be fearless and honorable, and despite not knowing what the ring could do, Sinestro was able to destroy the Quardian attackers in pursuit of Gasgatha. When the dust settled, Gasgatha was still alive, Realizing he could recover with the aid of his Green Lantern ring, Gusgatha asked Sinestro to return it, but Sinestro, disgusted by how easily Gusgatha gave up that power, left Gusgatha to die and became Sector 1417's new Green Lantern. Dang, that's not very honorable. That's true. <laughs> that ring was stupid. <laughs> the Guardians of the Universe, whom I'll refer to as the Owens, and whom you can learn more about in our Green Lantern vs. Nova episode, were the creators and leaders of the interstellar peacekeeping force known as the Green Lantern Corps. They never found out about how Sinestro let Gosgatha die, and instead lauded him for his competence with the ring. Doesn't the ring have its own sentience, and wouldn't it tell on him? It didn't. In his prime, Sinestro was the greatest Green Lantern in all 3,600 sectors of the universe. Under his vigilant protection, Sector 1417 was almost entirely devoid of crime. He mentored and befriended many other Green Lanterns, including the alien Abin Sur of Sector 2814, where Earth resides. Sinestro and Abin Sur became such close friends that Sinestro married Abin's sister, Eren, and together they had a daughter. Abin Sur had learned from an alien named Atrocitus of a prophecy known as Blackest Night, a time when darkness would rise up in the universe and extinguish all light. Atrocitus was the leader of a prophetic terrorist cabal against the Owens, and as Abin Sur was taking the captured Atrocitus to the prison planet of Ysmalt for his crimes, Atrocitus killed Abin Sur, and the two crash-landed on Earth. 
Sinestro attacked Atrocitus while on Earth and recaptured him with the help of Abensur's successor, the human Hal Jordan, whom Sinestro initially deemed unworthy. As he was imprisoned, Atrocitus taunted Sinestro with a personal prophecy about the chaos and deadly coup that would lead to Sinestro's fall from grace within the Green Lantern Corps. Deeply affected by Atrocitus' words, Sinestro returned home and began crossing ethical lines in order to maintain order within his sector, eventually dominating each planet as a dictator who ruled by fear. Recognizing Sinestro's dark turn and fearing for their daughter's life, his wife Eren secretly gave their daughter away and fled, dying soon after from a suicide bomber who had intended to kill Sinestro, which only bolstered his tyranny. The Owens ordered Sinestro to train Hal Jordan, who, despite his recklessness, Sinestro eventually befriended. During their training, Hal traveled to Sector 1417 with Sinestro to quell a rebellion that had arisen during Sinestro's absence. During this time, Hal realized Sinestro was using his ring to rule over his sector. Guilt-stricken for helping him stop the rebellion, Hal kept Sinestro's secret and instead imprisoned both of them on Earth. The Owens sent Manhunters, the emotionless energy-draining android precursors to the Green Lanterns, to Earth to capture both Green Lanterns and put them on trial. Hal testified against Sinestro, who was imprisoned in the Antimatter universe, and swore revenge against Hal and the Owens. While there, he met the Weaponers of Kord, who hated the Owens as much as he did. They fashioned him a yellow power ring and sent him back to the Positive Matter universe, where he became the Green Lantern Corps' most powerful nemesis, due, at the time, to their ring's inability to affect the color yellow. Eventually, thanks mostly to Hal Jordan, Sinestro was imprisoned in the Green Lantern Corps' central power battery, which powers the rings of each member of the Corps. While in the battery, Sinestro discovered that the Green Lantern's weakness to yellow came from an entity known as Parallax, the yellow embodiment of fear in the universe that the Owens had also imprisoned in the battery millions of years prior. Sinestro influenced Parallax into manipulating Hal Jordan and driving him insane when Hal's hometown of Coast City was destroyed. Hal went on a rampage, killing the rest of the Corps in order to drain their energy, and made his way to the planet Oa to absorb the central power battery. The Owens released Sinestro from his prison to confront and defeat Hal, but Sinestro taunted Hal into killing him and the Owens, bringing Hal fully over the edge and allowing Parallax to fully possess him. It was later revealed, however, that the Sinestro who died was an energy construct made by Parallax and puppeteered by Sinestro, who went into hiding once the core was destroyed, biding his time until Parallax was powerful enough to power his yellow ring. Parallax had been destroyed, but was slowly regaining his energy through Hal Jordan in his new form as the Spectre, who you can learn more about in our Spectre vs. Galactus episode. Hal Jordan re-emerged as a Green Lantern once again, now free from Parallax's influence, and he and Sinestro fought, resulting in Sinestro's yellow ring to be destroyed and him being instantly teleported back to the Antimatter universe. With the help of the universe-destroying entity from the Antimatter universe known as the Antimonitor, Sinestro formed the Sinestro Corps, a team of frightful beings from across the universe who wielded yellow power rings to combat the reformation of the Green Lantern Corps. With the Green Lantern's universal entity of courage and willpower, a being known as Ion, captured by the Sinestro Corps, the Owens rewrote the Green Lantern bylaws to allow Green Lanterns to use lethal force, which was Sinestro's plan all along, making him victorious once again despite him and the Corps being defeated in battle on Earth. Captured and facing execution, Sinestro was abducted from the Green Lantern Corps by Atrocitus and his newly created Red Lantern Corps, who learned of Sinestro's daughter, Sorinikna II, who was unaware of her parentage and had been the Green Lantern of Sector 1417 for some time. Shortly after Sinestro was rescued from the Green Lantern Corps by his own Corps members, heroes and villains who have died throughout DC continuity began to arise as reanimated zombie corpses 
wielding Black Lantern rings, including Abin Sur and his sister Erin, Sinestro's former wife. It took mass recruitment by the Green, Yellow, and Red Lantern Corps, as well as the newly formed Orange, Blue, Indigo, and Violet teams, to gather enough white light when combining their energy to attack the Black Lantern's central power battery, created from the corpse of the Anti-Monitor by Necron, the universal embodiment of death. Necron planned on summoning the embodiment of life, known simply as the Entity, so he could destroy it and subsequently all life in the universe in one fell swoop. Once summoned, the Entity possessed Sinestro, who used the power to fight and help defeat Necron, saving the universe. Sinestro became a Green Lantern once again after an evil Owen known as Krona captured his yellow ring, along with the seven colored universal entities of emotion. Helping defeat Krona as a Green Lantern, Sinestro was allowed to keep his ring, though he returned to the head of the Sinestro Corps when he realized the Owens were manipulating him into destroying the Yellow Lanterns and eventually all other cores save for the Green. In retaliation, Sinestro killed all but two of the Owens Jeez. and set off to find and save the survivors of his destroyed planet of Korugar. Recently, Sinestro became the bearer of an ultraviolet light outside of the emotional spectrum that channels all negative emotion in general, which he can use to create both invisible constructs and manipulate life forms. In this match, however, Sinestro will have his yellow power ring, which is primarily capable of creating yellow energy and hard light constructs, such as force fields or like scary spiders. Mm -hmm. It's also capable of empathically determining an opponent's fears, which it can amplify. His ring also grants him enhanced strength, speed, durability, and flight. The ring does, however, need to be recharged on occasion, and it is disrupted by the blue energy of hope. And that's Sinestro. Um, sometimes Magneto's energy in the comics is depicted as blue. But it's not very Magnetic hopeful. energy. It's not hopeful. <laughs> sure it is. Sure it no, is. No. All right, that does it for the backstories and powers for each of these characters. Now, before we run the simulations, we like to discuss how we think one of those 1,000 matches would actually play out in kind of like an improvised scenario. Yeah, the final results aren't based on the speculation. This is just for funsies. Now, we don't set any rules for our particular scenario, save that the characters don't know anything about each other other than they are threats to each other that need to be put down. They start 50 yards apart on whatever battlefield they're on, and the battlefield is nondescript. Basically, we don't take stats for the environment within these simulations. The characters have to win on their own merits, so the environment does not play any sort of factor within the battle itself. Because some characters can win in certain environments and have disadvantages in others. Right, exactly. Like, if this fight took place on Mars, Sinestro is dead. Is he, though? Yeah, because Mars is full of iron. I guess so is Earth. And if this match took place, like, in the middle of nowhere space... Magneto would pretty much be dead. Which is not true because Magneto can actually draw upon magnetic fields of surrounding planets and stars. Oh, so like millions of miles away? Yeah, he can do that. It would take a long time for it, that to get it to It doesn't. Him. He used the, the magnetic power of the sun in a fight against Iron Man in Avengers vs. X-Men to strengthen himself. It made him stronger? Yes. He can use magnetic fields to make himself stronger. They fought in space too. And Magneto like created his own suit of armor using the metal from nearby satellites. I'm talking about deep space, okay? There are no stars or asteroids or anything around. What are you talking about? There's no stars miles. in deep space. Deep space. Okay, not... Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. You, don't know, you don't know anything about space. <laughs> don't act like you know about space. Deep space nine. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and get this fight started. So they start 50 yards apart from each other, and they know that they have to beat each other. Who goes first? I, I, actually, think... I actually think that Sinestro is a little, little bit more manic than Magneto. Yeah, I agree. I think Sinestro would actually go first, considering that he might also be a little bit faster. Well, I think he starts off just by sort of like doing a scan of Magneto, an empathic scan okay. of, you know, what Magneto fears. Well, Magneto can't be scanned because he has that helmet that blocks no, his mind from being no. read. He's yeah. reading his heart. He's not reading. He, he doesn't have a heart there's helmet. No thought or memory base in it's the human emotion. Heart. It's emotion. It's, no, the emotions are not physically held in the heart. They're held in the brain, fool. <laughs> Still, like, the laws of Marvel telepathy being blocked by helmets doesn't apply to DC. Well, it applies in this case, so I'm sorry. Why? Because that's his whole thing. He has telepathic resistance. It's not telepathy, it's empathy. Same fucking thing. Is oh, it? <laughs> Same freaking thing. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. 
Can't be scanned. Besides, Magneto doesn't have fears anyway. It's not going to help you. While you're busy scanning, Magneto sees this guy who he knows to be a threat. But he, and he shoots an electromagnetic blast at him. Like lightning? Yeah, it's kind of depicted as lightning-ish in the, in the comics. Okay, well, since Sinestro's ring was scanning Magneto, it senses the buildup of this electromagnetism and puts up a shield right away, blocking the blast. Okay. So then that's when Sinestro retaliates by creating uh, like a million little tiny scary spiders that just go all around Magneto. Except how did they get past Magneto's force field? They're created within the force field. You can't project energy through the force field. Who said his force field was up? You didn't even say his force field is up. Magneto traditionally has his force field up almost at all times. It's usually just invisible. And that's canon. What? Yeah. Especially he would have it up during at the start of this fight. Okay, so the spiders crawl all around this force field uh -huh. and it lets Sinestro know exactly where this force field is. Yeah, all around him. Okay, so once, <laughs> once he's completely encased in spiders, that's when Sinestro creates like this vice grip, picks Magneto up by his force field and just like hurls him into space. Except Magneto breaks the vice grip by expanding his force field to break the construct that's holding him. Shut the fuck. Shut the front door. <laughs> I almost said it. And as soon as he breaks the vice grip, Magneto flies towards Sinestro and he shoots this huge giant electromagnetic beam at Sinestro. Boom, force field blocked. Uh, God, we gotta get around these force fields somehow. <laughs> Alright, so um, Magneto taps into whatever like uh, electromagnetic currents are surrounding them. Because everything has an electromagnetic field, whether it be life forms or even planets, uh -huh. radiation out in space, wherever they are, there will be an electromagnetic field that Magneto can tap into and kind of use to telekinetically shake Sinestro within his force field and kind of like rattle him around like a hamster in a hamster ball. And Sinestro is just like slamming back and forth against the walls and getting all bloodied from that. Okay. Which causes Sinestro to drop his force field. Yeah. And yeah, at yeah. that moment, Magneto sends out this electromagnetic pulse that affects Sinestro's electric nervous system and uh, basically gives him a stroke. What? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Because as the electromagnetic pulse is coming at him, huh? he creates a battery that absorbs that electrical energy and uses it to power a big ass cannon, which he fires right at Magneto. Okay, uh, well Magneto still has his force field, but I would assume uh. that a blast that big would actually start taxing his ability to maintain that force field. Yes, so, it's a very big laser. So once the cannon is done shooting at him, it's out of the energy that it absorbed or whatever. Right. Magneto drops his force field and splinters his helmet into a bunch of tiny metal shards that he just sends hurling straight at Sinestro's face. As they're coming at him, this like dragon wing sweeps in and like blocks the shards. And then like the wing moves to reveal this giant ass dragon that then just like fires a huge fireball at Magneto. And this thing's scary, let me tell you. But as Magneto's jumping out of the way of the dragon's flames, he takes all those metal shards that are within the dragon's wings and he forms them together into this giant blade that just slices the, the dragon's head off and decapitates him. Okay, but the dragon's head like falls off, rolls to the like ground, but then like spider legs sprout out of it and it starts going after what? Magneto. And it's like, I'm gonna get you. Oh, that is scary. <laughs> Magneto's like, what the hell? <laughs> is hell a curse word? I don't know. Uh, anyway. Okay, so Magneto's like freaking the heck out. All right. <laughs> so what he does is he summons his helmet back to him, but he creates a full protective mask out of it with like mesh eye holes and everything like that so he can still see out of it. He reinforces all the metal around his body in his metal weave suit so that it's about as durable as adamantium, okay? Uh-huh. So this thing's like lunging at him, but he's armored, so it can't like affect him too much. And he draws upon the electromagnetic energy of whatever large planet may be nearby him, whether it's Earth or it's the sun or it's another planet or wherever he is. So he's like coursing with like this glowing electromagnetic energy and it increases his strength so much so that he just punches this dragon right in the face and rips his spider legs off. Okay, but as Magneto is too busy fighting this dragon head, that's when Sinestro sort of like fills the area around Magneto with this like ooze that he's just like drowning in. And then at that point, Magneto again creates his force field that emanates from his body and pushes the ooze away, creating basically an air bubble for himself. And then he probably just like spins that bubble so that it like sends all the ooze flying away from him. 
Okay, well now that Magneto is dizzy as heck. No, no, no. Uh, he, was, he was just spinning the force field, not himself oh. within those force fields. Oh, <laughs> dumb. But he shoots out this energy blast that connects to Sinestro's ring and taps into whatever, you know, alien metals are within the construction of the ring itself. What? Yeah. And then. That's like antimatter metal. You what? can't do anything with that. Wait, did you say the word metal? Did you say the word metal? It's antimatter. Like metal. metal. Dang it! <laughs> So he pulls the ring off of Sinestro's hand. N no. No. What? Actually, in the metal event that they had in the comics recently, like, yeah, the rings are metal. You're <laughs> fudged. <laughs> so he pulls the ring uh. off of Sinestro's hand, and then it brings it towards him, realizing, like, it's, it's this awesome energy weapon, and Magneto puts the ring on his own hand. Okay. Little did you know that Sinistro has built-in safeguards for anyone else who wears his rings. Uh, okay. So as Magneto puts on his hand, that's when it, like, generates a saw blade and chops off Magneto's oh, hand. Oh, shit! What? This took him by surprise. Okay. Okay. I'll accept that. Um, so Magneto just lost a hand, but he's not going to bleed out because he can hold back his own blood from flowing out of his arm due to the iron that's within it. Just, like, cauterize it? In, in effect, yes. Okay, well... Meanwhile, the ring flies off of the amputated hand and back onto Sinestro's finger. But before it gets back to Sinestro's finger, <laughs> Magneto stalls it midair. And at which point, Magneto removes his helmet again uh. and like turns it into like this metallic dust that flies over to Sinestro. And uh, Sinestro inhales it, basically. What is this, X2? <laughs> yes. But I say that before the dust could even get to Sinestro, he runs over to the ring himself, puts it on, and then just creates... But like, already has all this metal in his body now. <laughs> well, little did you know that the Green Lanterns could actually phase through matter on certain instances. So I'm sure Sinestro can do it as well. What? So yeah, he just uses the ring to phase his molecules away from the metal bits. Leaving himself vulnerable, standing right next to all these metal bits that form like this liquid that just wraps around Sinestro's ring and hand. And then Magneto makes Sinestro start punching himself. <laughs> okay, well, Sinestro uses his ring to pick up Magneto's amputated hand and he uses that to start <laughs> slapping Magneto across the face over and over. Uh, In fact, Sinestro creates like a hundred more zombie hands that also start <laughs> slapping Magneto around. All right, so Magneto either gets slapped to death or Sinestro punches himself to death with a metal fist. Sure, yeah. I did not see that happening. <laughs> um, but I think that does it for this particular scenario. We'll end it there, and we'll go to the simulations and run the numbers and figure out exactly who would win between these two villains. Let's do it. Okay, I can't do the mental math off the top of my head as to who is coming out on top of this. This is definitely going to be a surprise for me. Yeah, it's pretty close here. Uh, which I think makes it a great match. We did figure that Sinestro is faster than Magneto. Right, but then Magneto is slightly stronger because he could essentially affect planets. And while Sinestro can do the same, it would take a lot more effort. You think? A lot more willpower to lift a mountain as opposed to Magneto, who can lift a mountain fairly effortlessly. Right, exactly. Fighting skill... Sinestro came out on top. Yeah, because he has the training through the Green Lantern Corps. Right, right. You don't really see Magneto fight hand-to-hand -hand too often. He, he probably does have some experience in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but no formal training. Uh-huh. Where else do they differ? Uh, in terms of durability, we said that due to Magneto's heavy armor, it made him less vulnerable to direct attack, as opposed to Sinestro. Who has to create a construct to defend himself. Right, and, and shield creation is more represented through the evasiveness stat, which we more accurately define as the ability to avoid being hit. As opposed to durability, which is the ability to resist or recover from injury to your body directly. Right, exactly. Intelligence-wise, they're about the same, I would say. Yeah, yeah, they're both smart villains. So yeah, taking all those numbers and running them through the Monte Carlo, we have a winner. Now, who do you think it's going to be? I really hope it's Sinestro, but you put up a much better fight than I thought you would. Like, I thought I was totally going to own this, <laughs> but that freaking force field... Like, force fields are, are hard to get through. Yeah, it's always hard when you have two characters that can have full impenetrable force fields going at all times. Right, right. So you need to find a way to kind of, like, negate that. And I think that we did that, hopefully, in a way that makes sense. Because, you know, the comic book writers do it all the time. So. Right. Yeah. We'll see. So, all right, it was an extremely close match. I'm proud of both of these guys. The winner of the Magneto-Sinestro match is... Magneto. Ah! He won 57.1% of the matches. Whoa. 
compared to Sinestro's 429 wins. What? What? I cannot fathom this. Yeah, Magneto won, man. Deal with it. No. You have to deal with this. No. <laughs> it, actually, I did not quite see that coming as well. I think the big factor here was that Magneto always is wearing his armor. Uh-huh. Whether or not his armor itself has been reinforced, according to the comics, almost nearly always has his force field going. He's almost always in a defensive state. Sinestro could do that, but it would drain the energy in his ring. Right, right. Considering we didn't take into consideration any environmental metal within our scenario. Right. If there was environmental metal, Sinestro would have that much harder of a time. I forgot to take into account that electromagnetism is essentially everywhere, almost in the universe. He's essentially in control of one of the four fundamental forces of the universe. Exactly. This sucks. Okay, Harry and Tasker, cover your ears for, for a few seconds, because this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> okay, you can uncover your ears again. So go ahead and mark this down as a win in the Marvel column for Magneto. And uh, go ahead and write into us and let us know what you guys thought about this fight. That does it for this episode. Let's hurry up and wrap this up. This is dumb. Um, <laughs> our next episode, we will be reviewing <laughs> Jessica Jones Season 3. Right. It's the very last of the Marvel Netflix uh, shows that's going to air. And uh, so it's a little bit bittersweet, but the show has been pretty good consistently, even with Season 2 being not quite as good as Season 1. But I do like the character so much, so I'm excited. So yeah, we'll be reviewing that. Go ahead and visit us at dynamicduel.com where you can listen to the podcast and get links to all of our social media accounts so you can interact with us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. Although, don't do YouTube. YouTube sucks. Also at Dynamic Duel, you can find a link to our merchandise store, which is on TeePublic. And the artwork we use for our products there are from our no prizes. This episode, I will be drawing Sinestro. And who doesn't want a Sinestro t-shirt? I do. Yeah, that'd be cool. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to our show if you haven't already. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. Again, we're trying to get to 200 ratings on Apple Podcasts. And the quicker that we do that, the quicker that we can stop bugging you guys about it. Or please rate us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Right. And if you share us on your own social media account, that goes a long way to promoting the show. Yep. Make sure to get all your Jessica Jones season three watching in before next week. And we will talk to you then. Up, up and away. True believers.